All right. Happy Tuesday, everybody, and welcome to we're back with another special episode of Learning Tech Talks, where we are continually exploring the landscape of learning tech while cutting through the fluff. Today, I'm joined by Vineet Tanisha, and he's from Microsoft, and we are going to be talking about all sorts of crazy stuff, whether it's virtual collaboration, we're talking about the new learning app. I mean, I don't know. We've got a long agenda of things, so hopefully we get through it uh, with the time that we have. Um, but if you're just joining us live as we're getting started, go ahead, give us a thumbs up, share the post, tag in somebody who would benefit from our conversation while we're getting started. And while you're at it, come in and join us and or tell us where you're joining from. Sorry, I'm a little out of it today. Tell us where you're joining from. I am in Waukesha, Wisconsin, western suburb of Milwaukee, as always. Vineet, where are you today? Hi, Christopher. I am in uh, Redmond uh, in the greater Seattle area. Okay. Okay. And it looks like it looks like you are at home. Either that or that is a really comfy office. It is, it is my home. It is my uh, uh, man cave. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Got it. Got it. So I have to ask, is there a desk that you're sitting at or do you just kind of like hang out in, in like a oh, comfy area? I'm totally a desk person. Like I have a desk person. Yep. Okay. Okay. So the man cave has a desk. Mm -hmm. Okay. I like it. So I would say the same thing. I'm totally a desk person, right? I have my office. I don't know that mine's really a man cave because I'm not as cool. I don't have a TV <laughs> in mine or anything like that. But um, yeah, I'm an office person for that. All right. So before we get going here, before we start talking about Microsoft Teams, we've got our icebreaker question. This is a tough one. So you've had a, you've had a little bit of time to think about it. I had some time to get ready for it. Everybody watching, you can play along too. But Vineet, if you could only have three apps, three on your phone, what would they be? Wow. Okay. Uh, a, Microsoft Teams. Okay, good answer. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I can survive without that. Uh, pretty much everything happens, especially for work, on that right now. Um, WhatsApp. Um, okay. You know, to be in touch with family here, friends. So it's it's pretty much all of that is okay. on is on WhatsApp. And I'm a I'm a news uh, junkie and a little bit of a stock market watcher. Uh, so I like to uh, see what's going on uh, in the market on in my stock. So whether a news app, which also gives me that, or an app that actually I built a few years back, which I actually use. <laughs> of course, of course, you did, right? The, the app I like is the app I made. Yeah. So, uh, so those three would be my uh, you know, must-have ones. Okay. Okay. All right. So I struggled with this one too. I struggled with this one too. Mine, I'm, I'm actually cheating a little bit with one of mine. <laughs> my first one is Google Chrome because okay. if I have Google Chrome, I can get to a lot of things. <laughs> so it's kind of like cheating, I guess. Yeah. Um, the other one is text messaging, right? Similar to WhatsApp. Like if I couldn't communicate, that would be rough. Yeah. Uh, and then my last one would be LinkedIn. If I, I, I would, I use LinkedIn all the time. So those are mine. We've got somebody else. See, somebody, somebody's pretty close to you. Uh, I'm guessing this is Boss, either that or Kareen. But LinkedIn, WhatsApp, New York Times. We've got some yeah. other. We've got some other news folks here as well. Shannon's Shannon's all about the weather. Shannon is all about the weather. Okay, I don't know. I just look out the window. <laughs> that's how I. That's how I roll. It's just like I don't know. What, what are we doing here? That's okay. Right. Okay, so now we've got that. We figured out what apps, what apps are your most critical apps. But let's dig into this because today we're talking about Microsoft Teams, but really some of this recent news that just came out about 
the new learning app and, and what that is. But before we get into the learning component, we're going to talk a little bit about what we talked about before we came live about what does this mean for Microsoft and the learning tech space and all this good stuff. But for people who may not be super familiar with Microsoft Teams itself, how do you explain to people what Microsoft Teams is? Great. Um, it's actually fairly simple, at least now, to explain what Microsoft Teams is. But even if I go back three years back when we had just launched and you know this phenomena was picking up, and when you say phenomena, uh, the phenomena of getting work done using using chat. People were just doing it, right? We just saw people talked about which applications are your must-have, and most people are talking about some kind of texting application. Why? Okay. Because work is happening on chat. We, whether we like it or not, it is just our habit. We are doing that. So uh, whether it is about sharing files, sending images, hey, please get this done, tasking, all of that is happening on chat. So work is already happening there, but most of the consumer applications are not compliant, secure, Okay. And that is not the right thing for the enterprise. So when the enterprise looks at it many a times, the CIOs, they freak out like, oh, yes, I know they are doing work on these applications, but my data is leaking out. Or, you know, I cannot do e-discovery or a legal hold if tomorrow something wrong happens. Those are important for the enterprise. So can you marry the two? And the third aspect is it is not only about text. You need to bring other things together if collaboration needs to happen more seamlessly. Files are important in any collaboration. Other applications are important uh, in collaboration. Can we bring these together? And that's the thought we had four years back when we, had, uh, when we were building Microsoft Teams. And we were able to do that in a way which was natural for users to say, oh, yeah, we work in a team of 20. Uh, and here are the files that, that matter to us. I just go to the files tab and I put it there. At the back end, it is SharePoint. They didn't have to go to SharePoint to do this. It just happened for them. That is how a user should work, and that's how they, they roll. If we bring the right experiences and services to them, then they will use it, right? So that is what started happening. Of course, with that, uh, the meetings aspect, we already had Skype for Business, uh, where a lot of meetings, online meetings were happening, and the stack on which we were building was the same stack. So bringing the chat-based collaboration and meetings and call together, that's where the magic happened. Okay. Right? So that's what Teams is for, for your collaboration with your peers, where you work, where you chat, where you meet each other. Got it. You know, what's funny about that and, and you talking about this journey that, you, that you've been on is that every once in a while I hear people say, oh, this is new behavior, right? This is a new trend that's coming up. And I'm like, this has been happening for a long time. I mean, years and years and years, people have been collaborating this way. But to your point, they were just doing it through whatever tool they had or whatever tool they were familiar with. And so they were really kind of going out, coloring outside the lines a bit in terms of figuring it out. We just didn't have visibility into it in many cases. We just kind of said, oh, well, they aren't doing this. But we they were, right? In fact, one of my, as a product person, one of my favorite um, thoughts actually is, Christopher, that users hack their way into meeting their needs. If you are a smart product person and if you observe them on how they are doing it, that's how most of the great products are actually born, right? Of course, there is innovation where you say, hey, you know, 
throw something out totally new. That also happens. But more often than not, it is more about, oh, user is doing it this way. We didn't give him the tool for that or her the tool for that, but they hack it into this. There's something there. You go down and build it and give it to them, test, iterate. That's how good products are, are, are built. And that's uh, I've seen that succeed yeah. uh, in multiple years of my experience. Well, it's funny. My early days, I worked for a medical software company, right? And and I was on the implementation side, and we would implement these health these these big healthcare systems. And I remember working with the product teams a lot. And part of the reason I worked so closely with them was because they were always asking, "What is the end user actually doing?" Because that's what they cared about. Because they're like, "Well, we designed the UX this way." Are they using it? No, actually they have a complete workaround because this is a nightmare for them. And so they do this other stuff and then they would evolve the system to meet that need instead of saying, you know, well, there were times and it didn't go very well where they said, well, what we want people to do is this instead. So we're just going to force the system to do it. People just find ways around it. I mean, they literally just find ways around it. User habits, right? Do not go against the grain of user habits and if you're doing don't do a step function you do a step function you will have a rejection right the body will reject it the user will reject it there is a way as we say uh that you know boil the water uh so that the frog does not know if you do it slowly if you do and this happens in branding and marketing right you make a, a step function change there will many a times be a a, a jerk reaction from users yeah. Or audiences, but if you do it slowly, you change the color, background color. Uh, they will not notice it. At the same time, oh wow, this is now new, and I still like it, and I love it. Uh, product is is no different in my mind. Yeah, it's it's an important message to people in the learning community too, right? Because there's this huge pressure to go. We need to do digital transformation for learning and development, and you know, if if you're still doing it one way, and you're thinking, oh, we're just going to completely flip the script and go over here. Like you said, right? Frog jumps out of the boiling water faster than its feet even touch the water. It's just boom, they're out because that's not that's not the way you change human behavior. Exactly, and that's why uh, call them Trojan horses, right? Tools that they are already using, that they have come to love. If they are doing work in that, in terms of enterprises, and if you bring other experiences which blend naturally. Uh, in that experience, much higher chance of users adopting it uh, and then using it. Okay. And that's and that's a big part of what we're going to end up talking about here is the fact that the goal of this is to bring learning right to where the work is actually happening, where people are doing it. So instead of trying to push them somewhere that they're not familiar with or create new user behavior that's unfamiliar or uncomfortable, we're saying, hey, this is what you're already doing. Let's take that step move and, and make it easy. Okay. Absolutely. The question, though, that I want to ask that I get a lot, you know, when people were getting ready for the show comes from the ed tech side of the house, because now Microsoft, right, is is moving into the learning learning technology space. I mean, you've been there for a while with LinkedIn Learning and things like that. But the learning app announcement was a pretty big, you know, announcement for the community. What does that mean? Is, is Microsoft coming out? They're going to take over, they're going to create the panacea of learning tech. I know the answer to this because you shared it with me, but right, that's that's the fear setting in. People are like, oh my gosh, is Microsoft going to come out with any every learning tech app that already exists and swallow up uh, the market? Um, very, very interesting question and a very important one. A, I would like to say in Microsoft of the new age, which we are and now, 
Uh, <laughs> a, we really, really value our partner ecosystem a lot. Hence, anything that we do on the product and technology side, it is very important that partner adoption and working with partners is a big part of the story. So I will just lay it out there. This is so, so important for us. Uh, in terms of how we are doing with teams, not only with learning, uh, I will give an example. Uh, but the concept to first uh, talk about is system of engagement and system of record. System of record are these, let's take uh, different examples, ERP systems, yep. CRM systems, learning technology systems, yep. LMAS. management systems, right? There have been between 20 to 30 to 40 years of investment by different ISVs, you know, on where they are in the industry in terms of capabilities that go into these systems. There is a reason that companies pay millions of dollars to deploy these systems in their own uh, uh, in their own premises or in the cloud. Uh, at the same time, you know, these systems are important, but many a times they are also used by experts or power users inside the organizations. For the 70 to 80% of mass employees, for them to get and, and start using these systems or, or portions of it, that is where we see some friction. I'll give an example. In my yeah. earlier gig, I was working on the frontline space. So frontline workers, the, uh, the cashiers in retail or uh, the, uh, the shift workers in a manufacturing facility. Uh, if we take one need they have, uh, across industries is shift scheduling. Hey, I got to know where am I going to scheduling. You said yeah, shift scheduling. Yeah. Yep. So, Hey, which store am I going to be on Monday? What time does the shift start? What, what time does the shift end? Because these, you know, these folks get paid pretty much every week and you know, that's how their life is. Some, some folks are doing uh, shifts across companies because they you know to, to make ends meet. And that's, that's the need shift scheduling. If you see others, uh, there are workforce management systems. Uh, which do uh, shift scheduling, uh, large ones and deployed in, in, in large companies. Based on our research and what we saw uh, on the ground with customers, they mostly would stop at a supervisor persona. Let's take, for right. example, in a store, store manager is a supervisor. They would work in this workforce management tools, do the scheduling, then hint, then, then hit print and put the schedule out on the board. Yeah. So if I were a frontline worker, I would go and say, oh, okay, Monday, okay, you know, 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. Is, is, is my time. What happens if I want to do a swap? I have to go uh, back to the store or call up the store manager, takes up my time and the store manager's time. The tools would not go to where the frontline worker was. With Teams, we started seeing, you know, frontline workers using Teams because these are sanctioned enterprise sanctioned chat application yep. they're just you know having you know having chat with their peers and just, again sharing images and say hey please clean up clean up this aisle on, you on don't have one. to worry about getting in trouble with it exactly <laughs> right uh, now in that same application teams we added shift scheduling as an application okay now suddenly the workforce management systems had reach they never had and we built apis we built apis with shift scheduling which works and integrates with these workforce management systems. We did not displace them. We got them users which were which were not getting to them because it was stuck on paper and digital tools stop at where the print when the print is hit, is hit. So now Microsoft was winning because we were getting these users uh, which were never in the digital fold. 
the workforce management system actually had more number of users and transactions because they were nobody was asking for a time off earlier from you know automated sitting in their home saying that hey tomorrow i can't come and i'm calling in sick manager gets it approves it in 5 seconds instead of somebody calling in finding the 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 swap person etc yeah. so that's an example of system of engagement multiplying the engagement for the system of record yeah well it's a, it's a really good i think that's a perfect layout for how this stuff works too and i think the part about it is to your point of the system of record there right in the in the scheduling tool they're not going to invest in the ux the same way that microsoft would with teams because for them to do it that end user is not real, the behavior is not going to drive for them to go there enough to actually drive the investment on their part to really build that out the way it is. So it's designed to be, like you said, for the administration, for the manager. It's not really designed for the end user, but rather than them do it, it's a partnership with you to say, well, we're, we're the one they're already using. Let's tie the two together. Bingo. And that is exactly what happened. They were like, so we have multiple ways to integrate. And they were like, I want this mobile interface. This is important to me. and we didn't didn't build that mobile interface like yesterday we have taken a big team 3 years to build the mobile apps that that we have so the kind of investment we've made is for that engagement and we are not making the same kind of investment in creating all the depth of the business rules for right. the workforce management so the same playbook we will bring to learning okay Got it. That's that's helpful to flesh that out, right? Because I think it is an important and and I think the other piece that's important that you highlighted there that if you haven't been in software, I don't know that you can really understand the complexity that goes into to your point of designing the mobile app, right? The user experience of the mobile app. You've had teams dedicated just to designing that. Mm-hmm. It's very easy if you're not familiar with things to go, "Well, just make the app do this," or "You should just have the app work like this." that's not something that you just snap your fingers and and do the research behind that and making that is is an investment on your part correct absolutely the research behind that seeing where the user is actually engaging we have that data and powered with this data and empowered with this data is what the experience we will be putting uh, in the learning app you'll see it uh, later today uh, in our conversation uh, absolutely right because that takes a lot of research it's easy to think is this is a set of ui but the kind of research goes in each pixel the color of the pixel the position and all that that's the investment that gets us then the return uh, and and makes uh, it possible so that is one and other is this insight about hey you got to get have apis because you are not an island yes very important for us right because there is a whole partner ecosystem that should integrate uh, with this only then will this be sticky and we'll deliver a win. Okay. And that's what we talked about just before we went live is this whole we I, I've seen it over the years where organizations try and create the panacea, right? It's it's the one app that solves it all, it does everything that you could ever want it to do, and you end up with something that does a lot of things sort of well, maybe, um but nothing super well. And so it doesn't necessarily actually solve a lot of problems. In fact, it kind of creates a lot because you end up with poor user experience, you end up with customer complaints, you end up with user adoption issues. I mean, it just blows up all over the place when you try and do everything really well. Absolutely. And that's why every application, service, uh what have you, whether it's enterprise or in the consumer space, needs to know what they're what they are best at and provide, you know, value 
from that perspective and not try to be this, you know, we'll we'll do everything because you will not be able to do well. It just <laughs> it doesn't happen. And that's coming from Microsoft, right? I mean, that's right. That's coming from Microsoft, who probably could do a relatively good job of doing things pretty well. And even you're saying, like, it just doesn't make sense. And I think it. That's what I, I still get a lot of questions from people. Sometimes we're like, "What do you mean with this whole ecosystem concept?" And that's what we're talking about right now: is how do we actually thread and pull the different applications and tools that people are using, and that we need on the back end for systems of record. How do we thread all those together to create the best experience for everybody, not just the end user? Because again, I've seen apps where they 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 index way too far on the end user mm-hmm. and they skip all the administrate, right? They they kind of ignore the the stuff and that blows up, then it doesn't work. The end user loves it, but the people actually who bought it don't. Absolutely. In fact, uh, so two things. One is all the personas that are important, end user-wise, the learner and the learning admin, and then the IT admin. If the IT admin says, I shall not have this application, that's it. You will not. <laughs> if they are not convinced about the compliance and security aspects of it, if they say this cannot be audited, that's it. The enterprise will not have right. that. Right? So those personas, their tools are equally important. Yeah. And that's an important thing for people. And again, I speak to the learning community uh, a fair amount, and it's one of those things where a lot of folks in the L&D community don't come from a technical background. And so they may not necessarily understand all this stuff. And it's why sometimes you get the IT eye rolls when you come back from, you know, DevLearn or whatever, and you're so excited about XYZ app that you bumped into and your IT team says, well, wh- what about this? Did you, what about this? What about this? What about this? And, we, you know, we're not prepared to answer those questions sometimes. And that is super important, as you said. For adoption, the first hurdle, of course, if it's a, digital tool is you know CIO's office they need to be convinced that this is the right thing it will not go against all the promises that we have around compliance security privacy all of that if that is done then the business shall have access to it when it comes to business business should not be struggling it should not be yet another tech tool for them to figure out it should be easy for them to figure out how do you do that how do you not get lost in multiple bells and whistles on you know who to give what access to, etc. So we will see some of that also uh, on you know I will use the word uh, especially with the learning apps social more democratic so that the business user and the actual engagement uh, is you know does actually happen. Yeah, well, and that was one of the things, right? Because if the CISO and the CIO <laughs> slam the gavel and say no way. That's it. It doesn't matter how much the learner might want it or like it. And I've seen this go south before where L&D goes rogue, right? They're like, we're just going to do it anyway. (laughs) And it doesn't it doesn't go well. Let's just let's just say that it's about kind of bringing the whole picture together. Yeah, because at the end of the day, the 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 alignment needs to happen for the goals across the enterprise. Right. Otherwise, somewhere or the other, it will it will hit a hurdle. Yeah, it it will, and I've seen it more times than I can count. So yes, I can I can certainly attest to that, and I'm sure you've seen it on your end as well. Which is what we're getting at with Teams, right? Teams is already in most enterprise ecosystems. You're not going to run into that. Now, granted, to be fair, you still have to any of the apps that you're looking at integrating into it will still have to go through that same process. So you know, it's not a free get out of jail card just because you have Teams that now you can hook up whatever you want to it. Correct. Now. 
on our side, we have a, a whole process called enterprise uh, readiness planning before an app is put out even for preview. Okay. Right? If we are not meeting those tenets, we can't even go out to a single customer or a user at a customer. Uh, because we ultimately, once the app is out there, we want to make the admins and then the business's life easy to say, okay, you check all the points that I need as Teams was today. Just by adding another application, I'm not going into a, a tailspin of three more weeks or three more months to say, is this compliant? Does it need this? No. If it is live, which means it has already okay. met both. That's a helpful clarification. So by the time an app is actually authorized and approved in Teams, you at Microsoft have done a pretty extensive vetting, right? Because it's now public, correct? Yep. Absolutely. Okay. And, and we start that pretty early in the product development process, which we okay. are right now, right? We start that very early so that we are checking those boxes as we go. Otherwise, the cost of it doing it in retrospect is very high. Well, that's a that's a huge risk on you as well, right? You you put an app out, turns out there's huge vulnerabilities to it. Nobody's going to come back and say, you know, that, that's not a good that's not a good position to be in. <laughs> Absolutely. So whether there are policies for us to meet, uh, what policies are existing in the admin uh, center of Teams, using the same set of policies, the way you manage three apps, the fourth app should also be able to manage through that, okay. so that there is no learning curve even for the IT admin. That's super important for us. Okay. Okay, so keeping some consistency again, reducing reducing the friction on all this stuff that a lot of times can be loaded with lots of hurdles and hiccups. Okay, right. so let's let's transition this right because we, we, one of the big things is right that one of these apps we're talking about. We've now painted the picture of what is Teams, right? How is this? How is it solving problems by bringing things together by reducing the IT security risks, doing all this stuff? And now, last month, the learning app comes out right big big press all over the place what is the learning app for microsoft teams sure so uh let me you know talk about a little bit context on uh, yeah, yeah give us some context to it first uh and i'll go back to my my favorite uh thought as i said about hey we actually saw users hacking teams to meet learning needs right uh, as i was I was doing Teams Mobile uh, about two years back, and we saw uh, at particular retailers, 30,000 uh, users using Android phones on in, in their stores. Like, what, what's going on here? We okay. went and, and did some interviews with them, and we found out um, the store ops team in the morning, uh, you know, at least twice a week, would send out five-minute videos. A video okay. could be could be how to fold a shirt, right? This was a this was a garment retailer, uh, and they would send it out on a channel called store managers. There okay. would be about fifteen hundred uh, store managers in the in, in in the channel. By noon, they will send an Excel sheet with all the names in one column, saying, "Have you completed and uh, seen this five minute video?" Uh, third, who in your store has also seen this video? So they were essentially getting learning done. But without using a formal tool, but sending content and reporting. That's pretty much what okay. it was. Okay. Right? That's, that's one example. Second, uh, you know, even before COVID happened, some of our customers had started moving trainings from face-to-face -to, -face to more virtual. Yeah. Yeah. This okay. was, that didn't start because of COVID for sure. Yeah, but definitely, you know, exploded with COVID. Uh, yeah. But, you know, they had already started seeing, oh, I can save cost. 
I don't have to either fly the instructor somewhere and pay for the hotel cost and the airline cost, etc. Or in sometimes it is you're flying the audience or the uh, attendees over. All of that is cost. And if you look at the overall L&D spend, a big part of that is this. It is less about digital tools. A lot of is, is being spent here. So they were already in like, you know what, with these tools, we can possibly save our cost and meet either, you know, 100% of our goals or more in some sense. Right. So uh, what did they do? Let's take uh, this particular example. Manager excellence as a training uh, okay. for, for new managers. 10 or 12 people would come together, one instructor. They would form a team for them. Uh, in the general channel of the team, they would put all the, in the files uh, uh, folder, they would put all the content that would be used over the next three weeks. So this is not you know, an, a 60-minute training. This is something that will go over a few weeks. So there will be video sessions. Yeah, they're, cre they're creating a cohort, right? Kind of almost a, a learning. And are they creating, they, they were creating a specific team or a channel just for that? So they, they would create the team. So the cohort okay. would be the team. There would be specific channels for breakout. So if there are twelve people, and because every uh, in teams, every channel can do, just do an instant meetup, and there could be multiple meetups going on uh, in parallel, concurrently. So you can have three breakout, uh, you know, teams, uh, sub teams, and four people each doing breakouts. And that's why they did. And again, I'm I'm kind of helping demystify right how they're structuring this. So they're structuring it because each channel, you could basically create a breakout room, so people in that channel could jump together and actually do a quick huddle or problem solve type thing while still remaining in the team. Exactly. In the, in the general channel, they would say, hey, uh, 12 people, uh, you know, a breakout room one, two, three, one, two, three. And now channels will be called breakout room one, breakout room, breakout room three. You go there. It starts at 11 a.m. Okay, you go there. And then you start this concurrent meet. Everybody is, uh, you know, seeing each other, talking about whatever discussion, et cetera, creating a PowerPoint deck about, hey, what did we learn? Come back into general and then present that. So all of this is, and they were getting it done using Teams, uh, and what we now actually formally call inside uh, the uh, group is cohort learning. So they were getting cohort learning done. And the other aspect which was very uh, beneficial for the customer was not only getting these folks together for the three weeks, they stay there as a cohort. They intermingle with each other, right? They share best practices, and you know, so that becomes a networking opportunity and hence the probability of what they learn and are they actually applying it do they have questions to each other maybe even to the instructor who's part of the cohort that just naturally happens versus what happens in, in live is you go there yes you meet maybe you spend three weeks and then you know the group gets disbanded and you know the probability of getting them back is lesser versus this tool is naturally built that way yeah. Well, what's interesting about that, right? So Yammer's been around for quite a while. Um, but back when Yammer first came out, I, I did some cohort learning using Yammer. But the challenge with it was some of the things you described were still difficult because you couldn't do a meetup in Yammer. You, yeah. you could kind of keep an asynchronous discussion going. But again, it was outside the flow of where people were normally doing things. So we could do it. We could bring people in a cohort and kind of keep some thoughtful discussions going there. Yeah. But it became very hard to keep it sustainable because once that kind of moment of we're doing something right now left, people were back to work. I mean, they were just back to work in a different tool versus teams. It's it's all right there where people are going in and out all the time. So plus you can do all the other things like meetups, share files, all this other stuff. Absolutely right, right? So 
Um, so those two observations let, hey, there is something here that we should do and bring in terms of more natural features that our customers could use and give it a name, give it, uh, give it the admin properties that are important for really learning departments, not only learning department and, you know, uh, no offense to the community here, to the managers and supervisors and people themselves to learn. Peer learning is very, very important uh, for us to enable, right? So, so those were our insights and takeaways from that customer research. And then we started, uh, you know, painting the picture of what this could look like. Uh, what we announced a couple of weeks back is, I would say, a part of it. So the learning app and teams, which talks about bringing learning content in the flow of work and giving managers, supervisors and peers the tool to assign, recommend, share training with each other and track it is just the beginning. As M365, we have much more in store, which we will you know, bring over the over the months and quarters, uh, the learning app is uh, will be the start. So this is just the starting line. This isn't the finish line for what <laughs> you're doing with things. <laughs> okay. Well, no, and that's and that's extremely helpful to one kind of understand the backstory and context behind, you know, what is this? How does this all fit together? And that there's more more to it because I think again, when what I've seen so far and what I know about it, it is a good starting point. But again, there's there's a lot more that can be done to go. Okay, so let's let's talk a little bit more about what it is today then, right? Mm -hmm. Like what is the learning app today from a capability standpoint? Yeah, uh, we could do that, uh, Christopher. Could we bring up some of the slides? Yes, you're supposed to use your super secret hand gesture, Vineet. You're not supposed to say, okay, there we go, thumbs up. And remember, the point means next slide. <laughs> okay. So, uh, yeah, let me walk uh, us through what learning app in Microsoft Teams would be with, you know, help a few scenarios that hopefully will resonate uh, with the audience. So social learning, uh, you know, we will be pivoting a lot on this. And when we say pivoting, I'm using it from a learning perspective. Uh, but uh, if we see what's happening out there with our customers and, and, and the users in the enterprise, Teams is fast becoming or has become in many of them, the enterprise social networking tool, right? Okay. That's where you find your peers, chat with them, share stuff, that's, you know, and bring your files and applications, et cetera, together. So we want to inject capability to discover or even curate your own learning content in the same scaffolding. So the example here you see is, in a Teams channel where you have conversations, so post is conversation, files where you keep your files, you should be able to add what is called as a learning tab. So each okay. of these on the top onboarding channel are tabs. So you click on plus and you should be able to say, hey, learning, and I'm adding a tab. Anyone in this team can do that. So it's a, let's say a team of 20. It's not manager who can right. add it. Any so it's user. not it's not something that has to be I mean it has to be added by your enterprise but once it's there anybody can add it to their team. Exactly, right? So anybody can add it to their team, rename it, you know, we've called it our trainings here, you can call it Cloud Hat 101, depending on what your team is about, or you say onboarding trainings, anything. You can rename that and the catalog using which you will pin these trainings here is your company's catalog. Right. So okay. we will bring a few things there. 
by default, we will have LinkedIn Learning turned on and Microsoft Learn, which is our technology training uh, asset uh, that, that we have, which will be prepackaged here, it's free for everyone. LinkedIn Learning, of course, uh, uh, if you have the premium license for LinkedIn Learning as a user, you will be able to watch all the LinkedIn Learning courses. Uh, we will start with definitely a set which will be available for everyone. So then for you to see, hey, okay, these are the kind of trainings that are definitely available. Beyond that, we will also, uh, you know, integrate with third-party content providers. Very okay. important for us because, you know, we don't own all the content. We are not in the content business. We are in the getting the learning content in the flow of work business, right? Okay. So the third-party content providers, in fact, they would get a bigger surface area to reach users in the same enterprises that possibly have their uh, subscription already, but get you know hindered because the learning tools are not in the flow of work. And this is what we, we seek to do there. The fourth constituency of content is customers' own content. A lot of customers create yeah. their own content. Yeah, there's, well, especially around product, around you know process, things like that, that you can't yeah. buy off the shelf. Now, there are two, based on our research, there are two stores, if you will, where this content is kept. If you have a learning management system, then you know many a times that content is kept in the LMS. And there are there is a constituency of, of, of customers who have not yet invested in LMS. Uh, the content is lying in network drives, uh, and they are yeah. like, hey, what do I do with this? Since we are M365, we have SharePoint as the natural storage. So if you want to hook up with LMS, that's another constituency of partners in the ecosystem that we okay. will be integrating with. But if you say, no, I don't have an LMS, I, but I still like this experience, where can I keep my content? SharePoint, on SharePoint. is the most natural place. The way you can do, do files today, you should be able to, using SharePoint, be able to do what we call as learning objects. Okay. And that becomes your tenant catalog and all of this searching and discovering happens over it. And the, the users or the employees in that team should be able to curate it. This is what matters to us. And that's why we are curating in whichever channel they would like. So that's that's the first example of social learning. Okay. So two follow-up questions on that, that I think, because some of the questions are coming back that I, I'll, I think I'll be able to answer all of them as I, as I follow up on this. So one, you're adding the tab at the top to kind of say, okay, and you call it whatever it is, team yeah. training, our training, like whatever, to go along with it. That content in that tab that's being curated from different places, is that all coming into the same tab? So let's say in a in a use case, you have LinkedIn Learning, you have some internal content sitting somewhere else, things like that. That's then being curated onto one page. You don't have like a R trainings, LinkedIn Learning, R trainings, LMS, R trainings, SharePoint. It's the one page of like, hey, this is the relevant learning content for this team. Correct. And in fact, as I said, the repository of training content for the tenant, as we call it, or for the customer, yep. is the tenant catalog. That catalog will have what the admin has chosen. They may turn to say, hey, I, we don't want LinkedIn Learning for whatever reason. Okay. But they would like it because it's so, it's so, so rich. So LinkedIn Learning, uh, your own content, third-party content becomes your repository of, let's say, 20,000 learning objects. That is for Contoso Corporation, their catalog. Okay. When a user is searching, the user says, let's say, uh, manager training or um, Azure fundamentals. 
four or five trainings will come up and you will choose these two are fine pin those get pinned so you're choosing okay. from the catalog of 20000 to pin the 6 to 8 or 800 in that tab so and and i think this will again help clarify this for some of the people that are asking some questions because i'm seeing about like can it host scorm content can it be valid these things those those are not the questions to be asking because ultimately that's happening at the admin level in the background where somebody's saying hey we need to create our catalog of what are the resources that we administratively approve are available to literally anybody managers employees what, whatever what is that and that's all being hooked up there on the back side you the end users not going to see all that they're not going to see the complexity behind bringing that together what they're going to see is they're going to see hey there's this new art learning app and i can search a catalog and i can search for whatever and that is then the portal at which that administrator is channeling all that and then you can see this list of stuff so you wouldn't be hosting things in there you'd be hosting them on the typical places you normally host content your lms your yeah. your sharepoint things like that that you would be putting all that content still there and then it would be getting approved through the admin on the back side to be added to the catalog that then becomes available to everybody which then answers the question of right could the tool be validated for compliance training well absolutely because the compliance training would be sitting in your validated system that would then be hooked up to this catalog that then would be available to everybody same thing with imported content could it import scorm content no because you'd be importing the scorm content on whatever hosting system of record you have that would then be connected to this teams catalog that is then available to everyone is that a fair absolutely, summary absolutely right because uh, to you know put one more layer of you know how are these tiles coming up the catalog that i talked about essentially has metadata about all these different uh, content sources you your your company had access to we okay. built a catalog out of that using that metadata these tiles will show up for the users the moment you click on it you see on that uh, uh, that the dialog you say open in teams or open in browser many a times let's say even third party uh, content providers they were like hey don't eat away my user goes back to your ecosystem question i am not taking your user away let's say this uh, one of the content from here was coming from a third party provider the user was able to search pin in 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 the tab here when the consumption happens they click on that it opens in the browser in the third party which you already have access to as as an employee plays there so all the some of the let's say the complexities of how that content is handled how is being streamed etc is already the third party is handling it what they were struggling with or what the company was struggling with is how do i get in front of the user at the right moment and give them the power to curate it themselves and search it that is the problem we are solving system of engagement not displacing the system of record okay and and that goes to again some of the continued complexity i th- i think this is one of the things that can often be overlooked when we talk about right build your ecosystem build your digital there's a lot of complexity behind this but again not everybody has to feel that complexity it's it's about right the super users or power users i think you called them before they need to know how to navigate that because again there are things that are going to matter that third party system of record the way it creates a user interface of channeling that information or what happens when people open it that mm-hmm. could potentially still be clunky but that wouldn't necessarily be teams because teams would be it's simply channeling it 
to where people need to be. So you still need to be careful. Teams isn't necessarily the silver bullet to fix all the issues you have from a UX standpoint. That's right. That's right. Now, you know, on, in, in, in certain, you know, certain things that we can do better, which we own, like LinkedIn learning, we can yes. definitely do, do those. Uh, for others, because again, we have to be respectful of, you know, we don't want to uh, eat the experience or displace the partner. Very, very important for us. And yes, so Silver Teams is not the silver bullet for all of it. The bigger one, definitely in terms of getting in front of the user. Uh, so when we have the right signals, as we start, you, you see some of the signals like users will be able to like a particular content. When they like this content, the signal goes back to M365, what we call as the graph. That will have an impact on when other users in the tenant are searching for trainings, trainings like this. All that layer will be available because of this tenant catalog. Again, then still working with our third-party systems. Okay. So two, actually three. I've got a lot of follow-up questions. I told you we are going to run way out of time on this, but that's fine. Okay. So my first one is this. Um, on that end of things, right? So the, the data piece, because you're capturing a fair amount of data, which can tell a really powerful story, right? What, what are people doing? What are they engaging with? Things like that. From a data standpoint, how is that data then you know, how, how are you able to see that data or see what's going on with that? Because you're obviously still, that data is being pushed back to your your record, your, your third-party source, so that if a completion, things like that, that's happening there. But is there now a new data source that's telling you additional data about what's going on from a user experience that you can use to figure out, like, what are people really using, things like that? Yes, yeah, so experience-wise, and I, I, I would put, uh, you know, data in, in two buckets. One is yeah. the... Hey, completion data. Yes. So let's take an example of a training is in uh, your dominant LMS at your company, right? Because even you know, even if you have put your own um, company created trainings in the LMS, there will be URLs for it. So again, metadata. We will bring this to the same experience. User clicks on it, goes to the LMS. Yep. Completion happens in the LMS. The system of record gets updated. Yep. We will have APIs on our end. So when Christopher goes to Teams Learning app, My Learning, and says completed trainings, it will give him the view of what was completed in the LMS and maybe something which was assigned even from the Teams Learning app, right? So that consolidation. So user experience is taken care of. At the same time, the sync with the LMS is also taken care of. That's okay. how we're thinking about it. Okay, so it's a two-way communication channel. It's pushing the data back, marking that stuff there, but at the same time in Teams, it's also push, keeping the data there so that end users can see what they did, managers can see what's going on, things as well. Yeah, uh, and then of course the engagement data, uh, you know, again, there is, it's, it's, a, it's a thin line between when you work with third-party systems, how much of, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> You you do the data sharing, the complexities of it, the APIs are different. What we will definitely start with is, hey, the engagement is happening in Teams. We will definitely have that data. We will definitely tell the customers. So there will be reporting capabilities uh, from our learning to uh, admin tools where they will say, oh, in my company, these uh, kind of trainings are being, uh, are being used more by source type, by even content type. So those are some of the early... Uh, thoughts we have in terms of okay. analytics and reporting. Okay. And then the other, actually the, the two quick, and we'll, we'll hit these quick because I want to get back to the actual tool itself. But so one is for user generated content, right? Cool. So let's say people are generating content or like we said, a lot of times, you know, 
companies are generating their own content around their process, things like that. Yeah. Then is there an, e how are people actually then getting that into the catalog? Are they, are we saying, you know, you need to have it in one of these backend areas that is then approved for the catalog so that it shows up in the team's catalog? Perfect question. Um, you know, whether I have it as part of my V1 or it would be a fast follow because, you know, as I said, we have, we have to take care of the compliance aspect, yeah. especially as you open it. User-generated content sets up a lot of red flags, a lot of places. I know. So, I've... <laughs> we have to be careful, but I think we have the infrastructure and scaffolding. Now, take, for example, in each channel of, of Teams, you have the files folder, okay. which is essentially backed by, by SharePoint. So users are generating content today. They can be creating any Word document, any PDF, yep. any file and uploading there. Any content uploaded there goes to the, the processes and the policies of how any M365 system would comply to SharePoint and Teams being that. We plan to use that same scaffolding even for learning. The only difference will be uh, where does a user upload the content from? I think more natural place will be the way the, the tab that we were looking at. I go to a tab and say, I think this content is important for my team. I hit on upload. I, I upload something, uh, you know, a five page PDF of how to do these steps better. Now that becomes part of, so from a user experience perspective for this uh, set of team members, it should be no different. They should be able to search for it. They should be able to yeah. pin in, in tab, et cetera. From an access perspective, it should not go beyond the team boundary. Maybe it is only for that team. That's exactly where the compliance comes in. Yes. Today, you can do, do that for files. Any file, if you are not part of the team and if you've only kept it there, you share that link, you click on it, Christopher, it'll say you do not have access. Yes. Right? Yep. So infrastructure exists for us. We plan to leverage the same infrastructure for employee-generated content when we have that feature. Uh, we are still looking at the engineering uh, uh, thing so that you know we bring it to our users at the right time is it on our roadmap yes okay that makes that makes sense right because it is i've i've been down this path with user user generated content many times and it it gets sticky very quick because you've got you know compliance there's the whole well, what what happens who has access to this different teams have different content that has different security levels um so that makes sense in terms of so really right now what it is it's it's this catalog of any of your existing sources of content can then be connected into this and brought in and the, the user generated right now you would use through the typical teams channels with a fast follow potentially of how do we how do we better integrate user generated content correct so you know if you were to Generalize this. We are starting with a tenant layer. Yep. Tenant catalog accessible to all, as admin has said, you know, the shall have access to, to this. The second layer is at the team level, which are okay. groups. Yep. Over over this, there could be a future where you say Christopher only is curating content only for himself, right? For so that could be a third level of just the user. But right now, I think these two are the ones where uh, the user need is definitely will start with the tenant one and go to the, the team one soon. Okay, got it, got it. And then the other question that came, it was actually asked that I'm curious, and I, and I think I can articulate this one based on what we've talked about now, but right in terms of any gamification, point-based learning, I know you said this is just the start. So I know a lot of third-party apps that people have now, they have some sort of system in place to, to do that. 
Is there also some sort of incentive type thing to the R trainings piece, or is that still kind of housed in whatever tool that's being used today? So uh, as part of V1, uh, no, we do not have gamification right. plan as part of V1. As part of our increasing engagement roadmap, we may look at it uh, to the question uh, that we had was, how will it play across sources? Uh, I'll go back to say most of the engagement is source agnostic. Once we have built the tenant catalog, then anything that you're doing, a liking, viewing, pinning, searching is happening. You know, your training might be uh, a PDF in your LMS. It could be a LinkedIn learning object. It could be from Microsoft Learn and Azure or Power, or Power Apps, right? We are agnostic to that because our layer of engagement uh, and signals is sitting over it. So if we go down the point system for gamification, for increasing the engagement, it will also sit over in, in that layer and will go across any sources. And you will not have to worry, worry about that because you're more worried about, hey, my employees, I want to give them gamification across across learning. Where does the content come from? It would yep. be ignored to that. Okay. Okay. And I, I think one of the things that's important that we we've highlighted on this that came out when when the announcement first came out, I actually heard a lot of conversations around, oh, this is just just LinkedIn learning for Microsoft Teams, but it's not. Right, this is bigger than that. It yes, obviously LinkedIn Learning is one of the components of it because Microsoft happens to own LinkedIn. So yes, obviously that makes sense. But it's not just LinkedIn Learning for Microsoft Teams. It is whatever those content sources you have that can be hooked up by an administrator on the back end can then be created into kind of your universal catalog of learning opportunities or learning content in your organization. Absolutely right. So LinkedIn, and of course, you know, it, it's, a, it's a special status to say uh, we, we will provide that through the application, but it is not the only uh, learning content. Uh, we will we will uh, also prepackage Microsoft Learn. Uh, as I said, there are right, a lot right. of trainings how to create a pivot table. We have trainings around that. We have that uh, in, in many places. It'll They'll be prepackaged through this, right? And they'll be part of every tenant's catalog till the admin says, no, I shall not. Right. Yeah. Okay. Complete control them, but other sources very important. Well, and I think that's an important de delineation for people to think about, right? Because then it's one of those as we're looking at other solutions, because you still need right these other third-party solutions out there. One of the things that we'll be looking at is, you know, how does that then connect into this Teams learning app so that that way we can ensure it's part of the larger catalog available to all employees. It's just a yeah. different way, honestly. It's a different way of experiencing what people are doing. And, and that's why the whole conversation about this was, it's about bringing learning into the actual flow of like where that work is happening. Correct, correct. And, and in content, uh, you know, based on uh, my limited, uh, learning is a vast space, but over the past two years, I've been uh, immersing myself in, in this, Christopher. Uh, there are, you know, content producers, which we call, call the tail. Uh, you know, how to do nursing better in Australia because the healthcare system is different. Like the larger content providers do not get there. No. But for a hospital system in Australia or in some, uh, you know, uh, states of Australia, that may be very important. And my system should have the right APIs to be able to say, yes, we can bring that in so that for your users, the system engagement is still the same and you go subscribe to that content. And we will we will have a, a partnership with uh, the Till 
uh, providers also to get them in. So that scale system is something that we have to absolutely think about because if you do not be in the content uh, game itself, you definitely have to be on how do you connect with them. Yeah. Okay. Well, and then one one last point I'm going to highlight here, and then we'll I want to jump back to the tool because right, Viku brought this up right, and and just to clarify for everybody, right, can this pull LMS content into the platform? The answer is absolutely yes. You would hook these content sources up to the app on the administrative side, so that then the R training or whatever you want to call it can then search this enterprise catalog of content sources along the way. So it's going to just change the way we structure things uh, and, moving forward. And that's very important for us. Uh, and uh, we are hopeful uh, that you know, our LMS uh, partners uh, will work with us in you know, making this ecosystem as vibrant because uh, we will provide a much bigger user base uh, through Teams as well as other N365 user experience properties uh, going into the future uh, for this for the for the content in the LMS catalog. Okay, one of the things that I think is going to be interesting about this, right, is as as L and D leaders or learning leaders, it's going to give us a lot more insight, which could be good and also terrifying into what people actually are using and finding value in in terms of our content, right? Because I mean, I've been part of numbers of discussions where it's like, oh, our, our stuff is so great. The problem is people just don't know it exists. Well. <laughs> Now we're going to find out, right? Now we're going to find out uh, if, you know, are people using this? Is it actually, now it's right in the flow of work. Are people still finding value? Or maybe this is actually going to change, I think, the way we have to think about what content are we designing? What content are we putting in our systems and things like that so that we actually are creating things that will resonate with our end users? For sure. It'll not be able to hide now. It'll be there. <laughs> it's not <laughs> hidden behind the excuse of like, ah, well, yes. people just, they just didn't know. They would love it if they saw it though. <laughs> so any other quick things? We've got a couple minutes left. Any other quick things we want to highlight on the experience itself? Yeah. So if you go to uh, the next slide, uh, no, a real, real quick LinkedIn learning content, yes. But the conversations around, uh, around learning, very important for all these social things. Uh, okay. And being able to just share this. So if you see it here, that card is actually a learning object shared in a conversation. That is where no hiding will become real, right? Because it's so easy for me to find this and share it. Uh, and just real quick, Christopher, if you just click through the next three slides. Uh, so I see it. I want to assign it. I click on the assign. Uh, and I go to the next one. I, you know, whether individually or with distribution list, I... I'm able to assign it to a few folks who I really need upskilled in a particular okay. uh, particular training, and I'm able to track this, which is the next screen for us. Uh, this hooking up to the LMS systems will provide that layer of this is the system of engagement, and you can do you know uh, for the user the record lives in one place while the actual system of record is in LMS and who okay. are in sync. So those are, I think, important. But this goes back to that two-way communication part where that information is being communicated back, but it's also being communicated forward so that you can find all this data in Teams itself. Absolutely. Uh, and then not stopping only at web desktop, uh, but also going on mobile, super important for us. Uh, you know, Two clicks away uh, to quickly show that experience to, to users. Got it. Uh, that's the personal app, and that's the that's the mobile experience. So, uh, you know, wrapping those social features, micro learning features, 
and even personal learning and getting in the flow of work and getting the signals in M365, which makes it more natural uh, to surface this is what uh, the journey we are on. Okay. And I, and I think real quick, the thing I'm seeing here, right? You look at the mobile experience and the point is this goes back to this whole concept of this is like your one approved catalog of like, here's all the possible resources so that when you're looking for this stuff, instead of having to say, oh, I need to remember to go look in the LMS or look over in SharePoint or pull this together. There's the one catalog that's already where everybody is that people can pull all this stuff together. Yep. And we have made the investment in the mobile experience so that all of that accrues to the workflow for learning. Okay. Got it. Well, you know, I think Ben, Ben said this. Yes, we are just scratching the surface. Uh, we, we definitely did not get into all of it. And again, this is just the starting line for where Microsoft Teams is going from a features and functionality for learning uh, in the flow of work. So yes, I think there's much more. And, and for those of you who may not know, we, there's a global HR summit coming up in September. We plan on continuing this dialogue, continuing the conversation about this. Vineet, I'm sure we will talk plenty more as Microsoft continues to evolve with what it's doing. But this has been phenomenal. I appreciate you being here. Uh, for everybody who's been watching, hopefully this gave you better insight into what Microsoft Teams, the learning app is, how it works, kind of the bigger technical side behind it, but also what it means for the end user experience. So Vineet, I appreciate the time. This has been awesome. And thanks everybody for tuning in. Thank you, Christopher. This was super fun. And thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Bye-bye, everybody.